0: Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Tom Wells here. Today is Friday. Happy Friday, August 24th, 2018. 8 a.m. Your first daily dose of happy for the day. And uh, we're off to a beautiful weather start today. We had actually cool, cool weather last night in August, mm. which is actually what's supposed to happen in August, believe it or not. But Yeah, uh, right. But it is supposed to get cooler. But it got cooler. It was like in the mid 50s. And that. You no, know, that that's close to where it's supposed to be, and I like that because, and our team likes that for the gardening service because that means the humidity is down. And <laughs> when it gets down that cold, mm. the humidity goes away. Mm. So you know, wow. good, good things happening from that perspective, if I can tell you. How are you doing, Tom? I mean, I haven't talked to you since Monday, but how's it going?
1: I'm doing good. We're having a little bit of cooling off here too. Where the highs aren't quite hitting ninety; they're like, uh, you know, the hottest days lately are getting up around eighty-seven, eighty-eight. But we've mm. even had some. Days in the seventies, it's been really nice and that's wow. unusual. But it's actually normal for mm-hmm. August. Fall's mm-hmm. coming around, like you say. And yeah. so yeah, things have been things have been very interesting for me, just a lot of changes, and yet I feel like I'm settling into more and more feeling I'm in my heart and feeling that things are unfolding the way they need to unfold in my life. And
0: well, that's a good thing, especially considering what we were talking about on Monday. <laughs> I mean that means you made some important changes that made a difference in your life. That's a good thing
1: yeah and i I don't even remember exactly what I was going through on Monday, but I'm sure it was uh significant <laughs> but uh yeah, I just feel like it's just a natural progression of uh of allowing and trusting you know that life is life is gonna always default eventually to what's really. Naturally meant to be in the flow of beauty, the flow of love, the flow of possibility. That's what really is ultimately behind everything that we struggle with.
0: So, absolutely, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and doing we, that more.
0: we won't we won't rehash what happened on Monday because that would regress. We don't want to do that. But the the fact that you'd forgotten about it, I think that's probably the best thing that happened. You forgot entirely what it was.
1: Good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I just know that it was something about the heart and about becoming more and more <laughs> conscious and aware and you know, and so everything's good. Excellent. Excellent.
0: Well, then that, I guess, is probably our foundation for today's topic, because since everything has been about being in the heart lately, manifesting unique gifts, well, your unique gifts come from within you, which I mm-hmm. guess, well, first place we look for that is coming from within the heart, isn't it?
1: Yeah, in a way. I mean, it comes out of that knowing that everything is okay and that the universe is actually... A benevolent and benign place. Um, it doesn't always seem that way, does it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Especially
0: for us this week, because uh, Louise and I have been dealing with stuff uh, with a business, which I won't go into great detail about. But uh, the, the the bottom line is that we're having to step up our game, do more. And as I was thinking about that this morning, I was telling you before the podcast that's really the diametric opposite of what we talk about here on the podcast. We talk about um, getting into the good feeling place and asking the universe to do more, and here we are stepping up physically, doing more. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, hold on, there's something not right with this picture.
1: <laughs> so we got kind of turn That's, that one
0: around, but uh, yeah, yeah, especially
1: yeah. if it feels stressful, right, or if it feels difficult. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, exactly. You know, how do we how do we learn to let the universe do it at those times when things seem the most difficult? And, you know, and I mean, like when you're on in
0: shoulders, <laughs> exactly, and when you're in the middle of it, it's it's difficult to let go because you know a lot of the stuff you can't let go of at that moment in time if you did some really important stuff would fall apart but what you're aiming for is a longer term picture where you're letting go letting go letting go and the universe is coming and filling in the gaps and and doing what it does so well that's really Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do i mean if i could just drop the reins today and just let let everything you know fall apart And, you know, and, and, you know, Mm -hmm. the the boat would turn in the stream. It would head downstream, but we'd go through some rapids sideways. Mm -hmm. And and I don't really want to go through rapids sideways. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. (laughs) I really don't enjoy that part. So, you know, I I want to make it a controlled turn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, I've been there too. And I, I don't know at those times, it just seems like you got to do what you got to do. And it's the, the momentum thing maybe that, you know you just well, exactly. got to get through cuz the momentum is take care of you it's like being on the river i guess it is like being in a in a rapid and and you look at it and you so you say well i could capsize here so how do i how do i aim this boat in such a way and sometimes i know when i've been on a river doing a a, a trip down a river that has a lot of rapids you sometimes have to row like crazy for mm. a certain period of time you know that, that you know i was in the raft with this one guy for a 10 day uh, trip on a very a river that had a lot of rapids up in Idaho. And mm. you had to really um, at certain points, pull, 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 you know, and he'd be yelling mm. at me, you know, because we were going to slam into a wall and capsize, you know, and right, right. Some big giant rock. You had to, you had to get your boat to the right position, you know, like all of a sudden you realize we're on the right and we got to be way over on the left and it's 50 feet over there. So you start rowing like crazy. But once you get over there, then you're in the right place in the stream, and it carries you exactly where you need to go.
0: Maybe so, that should be the, the topic of a show sometime. You have to avoid the rocks so you can get into the mainstream.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're when you're on a, a river trip, what you become is a rock reader in a way you a rock you reader. Yeah, Yeah, you do. And you're just always looking for where is it too shallow, where are the rocks, um, where is they likely going to grab the bottom of your raft, if you're in a raft, or if you're in a canoe, it's even more tricky in a way because your canoe can't mush over things it's right. got to really around things right and um yeah it's quite a quite a beautiful experience because you get really good same as mountain biking you know when you're coming down a really steep path um and it's full of rocks and drop-offs and things you've got to you got to look well ahead on your path especially if you're going very fast so that you know as a, each of those things come up you can negotiate just just right around it and well, get really good at that. I,
0: I found the, the best way to handle mountain biking is not to do it at all, because for me, mountain biking <laughs> is, is like a, a controlled form of suicide. And I really wasn't interested in engaging in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're really tall, too. And it, you, you have to get so far back on your bike, you know, with your butt sticking way out there when you're tall, because, uh, you know, your weight has to be just perfectly distributed over that bike as you go over your know, intense things. Uh, otherwise, you can flip off it. Yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, it's not a pretty thing to have a six foot eight person flipping. Oh, you're... <laughs> you don't go to the circus to watch that.
1: No, does <laughs> no, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot of height.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah,
1: you've been there, done that.
0: Uh, well, actually, I refused to do that one in particular. But no, yes. I've done the height
1: thing. <laughs> the height thing what I've done for a while. You've been the height thing for a while. Just a little while, yeah. <laughs> so, what's yours? What's your uniquely? What's your unique gift to do in the world? I know it's uh, this podcast. Yeah, well,
0: That's that pretty a- much answers that question. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just to just to make your end of the show simple. <laughs> oh, I don't know.
0: I mean, I, I I don't know that I've ever really figured out what my purpose in life is. I, I did try to figure that out early on, but I kind of gave up after a while trying to figure that out because I realized even if I knew the answer to that, what would it tell mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. Okay, so my purpose is X. So, the, so what, I should be doing X all my life? <laughs> you know, even podcasts I don't want to do all the time. No, and well, in you fact, know, I, you I
1: think you from I mean one thing to another. Don't if we? there's
0: one thing I learned from my father, my father worked for one company, General Electric, for 44 years. Hmm. Now he did do a number of different jobs in that company. I think he did four different kinds of careers while he was there. But you know, 44 years, basically doing one thing, working for one company. That was it. That was that was his life. And while we appreciated the fact that he was a great provider and so forth. On the other hand, you know what did that do for his life? You know, I mean, I was glad he had other activities outside of work. That was a good thing. But you, you do—it's it, one thing to find what your purpose in life is, but it's another thing to find what the other purposes are. You know, you <laughs> can't just do one thing; otherwise, you'll, you'll go nuts. In most cases, unless you're Thomas Edison, who just likes putting filaments in light bulbs. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, he loved inventing. I suppose he invented. Other things, too.
0: He did. He did. He was quite prolific, actually. Invented a Uh huge number of things. And and had some fairly famous employees, including Nikola Tesla, which is just, I mean, Um, can you imagine being, you're you're Thomas Edison and you hire Tesla? What a hire that Mm -hmm. is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so how do, some people do definitely follow things that they feel are uniquely theirs to do. And that's what this podcast, the idea of it was that I've I've been looking at that ever since I was in my 30s mainly. Um, I think in my 20s, I did what I was uniquely here to do, which was wonderful because I was um, a director for a nonprofit organization. And by going around from community to community all around the country, I was um, working with people in a way that was really ideally suited for me. And when I look back into my childhood, I realized, well, that was what I did as a kid. I organized games in the neighborhood and circuses and dances. Oh, no kidding. And yeah, I, I always liked to do that kind of stuff. And oh, wow. I, it wasn't all I did, but, you know, I was constantly organizing games, you know, like kickball and I even made up games and then invited out the kids in the neighborhood to come and play the different <laughs> games. Oh, that's that wild. I made yeah, I was like this little ringleader. And I guess that's why I created a circus. Eventually, that was my crowning, one of my crowning uh, mm-hmm. glories in my childhood was when I created this neighborhood circus. And uh, then when I got into my 20s, I, nat- I was asked to coordinate. Well, I was asked if I wanted to coordinate things, went to a big festival and they were saying, uh, who wants to make all the roads in the parking lots? And I was 23 years old. And I said, I will, you know, so (laughs) then I got pretty pretty soon. I had a team of 14 people and was making, excuse me, all the roads and parking lots for this big festival out in Montrose, Colorado. And it was fun, you know, Um, but I really learned after that. Somebody asked me, would you, you know, come to New York and help us coordinate a clinic? And then would you go to Rhode Island, help us coordinate another clinic? And then up to Magnolia, Massachusetts, to create another one, and, and then would you come to Boston and help us run the Boston community? And wow. but the thing was, it was just all natural. I never wanted particularly to do that. I I would just ask, and I kept doing it, and it kept feeling good, and I kept just responding to the fact that people thought I was good at it. Mm-hmm. And so I kept I kept doing it. But after that all ended in the early eighties, uh, after ten years of doing that, I. Ever since then, in a sense, I've never known who I am or what I'm here to do. But I did, you know, land on the idea that I wanted to sort of be a psychotherapist or some kind of a coach back when I was about in my thirties. Mm. And um, and I've been still evolving towards that. And now I'm going to turn seventy this year. Yeah. So it's been a quite a journey of, you know, watching myself. Well, I created you know a family in the meantime, and that became my my coaching opportunity was mm, sure family. Yeah. But I didn't do that. I didn't do what I considered my life's work for about 30 years. And
0: Now, how did that impact you? I mean, was that a good thing? Was that a bad thing? Did you feel like well, you except, missed something?
1: except doing the family during that time. So that was, I guess, where I put my bad energy went into the family because mm. I, I only worked 100 days a year, and I had the rest of the time off to take care of the family. And it, there was a lot of work to do in that family because there was – the children were pretty impacted by um, their previous situation their previous family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I came along as a stepdad, but it, so I had that service aspect of my life, but it did impact me because I'd go out and do this other job and always felt like, what am I doing this for? (laughs) Um, I'm doing this because it pays all the bills and it was really a good income. Uh, But it also had some qualities in it that I loved. I did get to interact with people all day long, and that's something that I really love. And a lot of people, because I would visit professors on campuses all over, you know, different states in the West, and by going, you know, office to office to office all day long, I would, I had a lot of fun um, talking with all these professors in all these different disciplines. I learned a lot, and it was great, but this, you know, asking myself all the time, really, I was doing exercises and reading books, like, what do I want to be when I grow up? In the meantime, I was already growing up and getting a lot older. <laughs> but, right. um, but I'm still in a way asking that question today, because what I'm asking is, what is it to be the most enthusiastic about my life expression, you know, like of who who I am and and what i'm offering in the world i don't think it's ever a mistake that we're doing what we're doing whatever mm. it is it's all part of the journey and it's all i think every day we we still even if we're under pressure like you're feeling right now it's like do you still have the opportunity every day to to um to find some quality in it that is uplifting that is magical you might say or is otherwise you know redeeming and helps you see that your unique gifts <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. Your unique gifts as a uh, as a teacher, as a leader, as a um, as an example. You know, however you feel, you show up each day is it matters, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, it matters a lot. And I can say that for most of my life, I really didn't have a clear idea of what I wanted to do anyway. Um, most of the time it was kind of along the lines you were talking about. I I did stuff because I had to, because I needed to have money coming in, but I really wasn't doing anything that I love. The podcast is really the first thing that's come along that I really, really love doing. Even though I'm not getting paid for it, I still love doing it and I'd love to get paid for it. That'd be great. But, um, it it really illustrates for me how important it is to find that one thing that you really love. doesn't Mm. even matter whether you're getting paid for it, just finding it and doing it And it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be your life. It doesn't have to be even the majority thing in your life. But finding it is where, I mean, you talked about how you deal with stress, how you deal with, you know, when the pressure is is climbing. And you pointed out very accurately that my go-to thing is the podcast. And it is. It's not my only method. It's not my only process for, you know, getting myself into a better headspace, getting myself into a better feeling place. But it's an important one. And I am so appreciative that I found that. It, now, is mm. that the same thing as bringing money in? No, but it's pretty darn valuable. Because the simple mm-hmm. fact is, unless we get ourselves into that good health headspace, unless we get ourselves into that good feeling space, we're not leveraging the universe the way we can. So it almost doesn't matter whether or not it's directly bringing income in. What matters is, is it getting me into the place I need to be in so I can attract the stuff that I want?
1: Mm.
0: That's the way I, I see it anyway.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've I've always felt a kind of a dilemma around the money side of it, you know, I did, I have created a career that does bring me the income from doing the thing that I feel is a unique gift that I have, which is working with people in this one-on-one and small groups, you know, to help people get turned on to how beautiful their life could be and how how much they could manifest their gifts in a lot of way. That's the biggest calling I feel is to ask those questions with people and ask those questions with myself. Cause I've spent so long in a way asking that and refining my life constantly to the point of, of, is this what I really want to be doing? Is this what I really want to be doing? And I don't think I've succeeded at all compared to what some people have, who, you know, maybe figured out how to be in that place in their early years and and have managed to do a lot of um, manifesting what's uniquely theirs to do in the world. I guess it can be frustrating for, I mean, it's been frustrating for me in a way to know that I have these unique things about me, but that they're half of the time I, I wasn't sure what they are. So I was always, you know, studying more, learning more, following more threads into what is it that turns me on but i could look at my all the books in my library any given time and go okay this kind of sums up the seven or eight areas that i'm <laughs> interested in right. but it was always like seven or eight areas and then i was always going how could i synthesize this into one thing mm. um, and that's, that's been the point. frustrating part for me but you have found
0: stuff that's the main thing i mean it's not like you haven't yeah. found anything you found stuff that was enjoyable that was you know it made you want to get up and do stuff
1: oh yeah, it's always been, it's always been fun to follow the threads of, of how I could show up in the world and, and manifest some of them. I just always felt like, wait a minute, you know, when am I going to be, when am I going to just step out on the quote, the world stage and as who I really want to be, as some people do, whether they become a musician or they become a corporate executive or, or they become an artist, um, whatever they, whatever they end up doing, become a mother. Um, you know, they, they do the thing that, really pulls them the strongest. And I think that's a lot what I'm bringing up in this podcast curious about is, do you feel something in you that's calling you in a certain direction? Do you feel, have you been showing something in your life that you have a gift for? Like when I talk with you on this podcast, it's clear to me you have a gift for being in brilliant conversations and guiding the conversation in exciting and interesting and fun ways that are uplifting and illuminating to other people Now that's that's an amazing gift you know i know that i can trust you when we get on a podcast that you're going to negotiate and guide that podcast in a direction that'll feel good and well thank you
0: i mean it's nice to know that i'm having that effect that's I, I can't say i'm doing something specific. Oh yes, I'm going to do something to make sure I guide this podcast properly. I, no, that never right. enters my head, but I'm glad it yeah. works out that way. So that I yeah, think exactly. it, I think that's what happens when you do something you love, right? It just kind of naturally happens.
1: I think that's the, one of the keys to, to what is our gifts is that, um, like I found myself doing it as a kid. And then when I did it through my twenties and early thirties, I never had to think about, you know, be being a good community coordinator, a good, a good director, a good facilitator. It just was what I did. Right. And I didn't, I didn't know why, (laughs) you know, but (laughs) one time the people, somebody said, you know, you're the, you're one of the best coordinators we have in the country for going to a community that's troubled and helping it get straightened, all straightened out. You know, the way the organization wanted that community to run, which was, you know, based on a lot of fun and good feelings. And, and they said, uh, somebody asked me once, how do you do it? And I said, I I just show up. I I just show up and be me. I don't do anything because I didn't. And I would just show up and be, I would usually appoint somebody as an assistant right away because I always felt I needed a good assistant. And then the two of us would, would figure it out. And so it just became fun. I mean, it was just like playing. It really was. It was like being back in my childhood playing games. Um, And it's funny that I got away from that for so many years, Like how to how to just go have fun with a bunch of people <laughs> and and out of that something would just emerge that that was cool that know? that
0: is kind of an interesting thing isn't it because when we're having the most fun is the time when we're in kind of a in one sense it's more productive we're we're, we're doing more in a sense when we're having fun which mm-hmm. which is kind of flipping the traditional approach on its ear because traditionally we say well you got to work hard to what you want to accomplish and so forth and yet, what we're saying here is, you got to find what you love, and you'll end up working hard mm. on it because you love it. <laughs> Not quite the same mm-hmm. concept at all. And it has quite a different way yeah. of playing out too, because it's a lot less pressure-packed. It's a lot less stressful, and it's a lot more, well, fun. <laughs> That's why we do the fun, yeah. right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's in the moment because yeah. we are uh, we're receiving impulses. Like, and if you're having fun, if I'm having fun, and I'm actually following what feels good to me then I'm much more likely going to be receiving impulse after impulse after impulse of what's more fun and what's more fun and what's more fun mm-hmm. and, uh, or what needs to be done. And I'll go do that. You know, if you gotta, I remember back when I was working, running that organization. And if I had to go out and find a, a new house to move this community to, you know, cause I was running ashrams, they were called, you know, spiritual centers in big cities around the country. And a lot of times I had to go out and find, a, a house for everybody to live in, and um, and that seemed that seemed like a task, you know, because oh, after yeah. you do that for two or three weeks, you're driving the streets, you're looking in the paper. Back then, we didn't have the internet, so you're looking in the newspaper all the time, and then you're mm-hmm. going out and looking at these places. And I remember it sometimes where that was the the most difficult thing I ever did, you know, because it was it was an onerous, you know, painstaking task, and yet I just sort of took it all in stride, like. I actually had fun doing it, really. I mean, part part of me was like, well, it's kind of cool to go look at all these different houses and then to watch how it it would unfold. You know, life would show me, you know, source would show me the right house. And when I would find it, it was really cool because I know this is the place, you know, this Mm -hmm. is the place we're going to take. And it just was like a divine thing in the fact that it was the right owner, the right price, everything was falling into place. It was a beautiful house. And then when we'd move into it, you know, it would feel fantastic. And we would always get along with the owner really well. <laughs> good. Uh, that's a good and, thing. You know, that's, yeah. So things like that. I mean, when we're following our natural flow, things do unfold for us, I believe.
0: So if we look at the title of our topic, Manifesting Your Unique <sighs> Gifts, I mean, manifesting, we're used to talking about that from an LOA perspective, you know, ask, believe, mm-hmm. receive, that sort of thing. Um mm-hmm but manifesting unique gifts. So is it, what do you think? Is it the same process? Do you actively ask the universe, you know, what are my unique gifts? Please deliver them to me.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I didn't in my early twenties and those 10 years I worked that for that organization. I never, I don't think I really asked what were my gifts. I guess I kind of did because they would, the organization would ask you to think about what you do, what you feel most called to do. And I did follow what I felt most called to do but it was others that asked me to do it you know they it wasn't that I said I want to be a coordinator it was uh well I did at that festival that very first time I I was at you know they said we need somebody to organize the roads and parking lots I don't know why my hand shot up (laughs) it was like oh okay but it felt like, Oh, I could do that. Um, surely it'll just all happen. And it did, you know, I just sort of believed it would just all happen. Mm. I don't know why I believe that, but um, maybe, maybe cause I went back to my childhood when I would organize other things and it just would always be fun. Therefore I kind of knew, well, fun happens or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. And, um, but yeah, so I think though, in the years following that, I started to really ask. And I asked so intensely that I was constantly asking. And I think I got stuck in asking um, instead of receiving. Why is that? Um, I guess I didn't, for some reason at that point, I no longer trusted that I could, I, I, w- I felt like I was on my own. Before, I was with this teacher from India, and I trusted, I think, that everything was sort of under this divine guidance of this somehow being with this teacher meant that I was divinely guided because I felt he was a, a true master, you know, he, he and that's how he showed up as, as a master. And, and, uh, he had gifts. He had gifts to give me and he gave me his gift of showing me how to go inside and connect to my heart, connect to meditation, you know, and I would do that twice a day, every day. And I felt I was divinely guided. But when I got out of his organization and was out on the streets again, so to speak, (laughs) then I felt like it was up to me. And when I felt it was up to me, I took it real seriously, like you did going to college. And, you know, it's like you better pick your major. And and all of a sudden it was I equated it with the difficulty of being in the world and um, having to live up to some standard some worldly standard instead of a standard of fun or a standard of divine guidance, a standard of play. I know, I didn't, I no longer felt that divinely guided. What, so, what do you think
0: changed? Yep. I mean, why, why, why is it you had it at one point and then all of a sudden you didn't have it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the thing I've always equated that with, and which I've even in the recent years equated it with is um, that I, that I went back into this place that i feel the larger society seems to dictate which is that there's no free lunch uh that um if you want something you have to pay a price if you want something you have to work hard to get it so those kind of messages i think were very internalized in me in school and by my parents which was <clears throat> you know y- you got to work you got to work hard and you're lucky if you get the a's and the b's You only get the A's and the B's if you put in long hours and you try really, really hard. Excuse Mm.
0: me. Yeah. And that is a trap, isn't it? Believing that that's the only way to get there.
1: I think it's such a huge trap that I personally believe the dominant bulk of the people in the Western world are controlled by that. Mm. And it's why we, in a way, we aim low I think a lot of the same low as to what we could do with our lives, because there's a huge message that says you're not going to get that easily. You know, if you want to be a, a doctor, you're going to pay a huge price. Now, okay, you should, you know, you don't want somebody in the emergency room who doesn't know what they're doing or, you know, surgery, you know, who doesn't know what they're doing. Right, right. So there is, there is definite reasons to learn your skill and your trade and your craft or your art. Get really good at it. But the fact that we believe that it has to be a big price paid, and that for some reason then it's hard and it's onerous and it's difficult, and you have to suffer to get there that's the part that I think is the big illusion. Because yes, you might have to do an apprenticeship, but do you? Do you want to follow a thread that isn't fun? <laughs> that's I guess that's what it comes down to, you know. We it, we it gets all mixed up. You know, we lose the idea of what fun is, don't we? Um, well, I in, think in you the do. process of thinking that it's hard work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that that definitely happens. And the what I learned from my time of not doing something that I loved cuz my career was um technology related mm-hmm. and Still is to some extent. Um, And I worked in a lot of areas of IT before it was even called IT. It was just called computers at one point. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I learned from from doing that, I mean, it, it was something I was good at. It was not something I loved. And I learned that I could continue to do it. And I could do it well. And I could work long hours and often make good money doing it. But even with all of that, there was no satisfaction. And Mm. the the lack of satisfaction catches up to you over time. You don't Mm. notice it at first. At first you say, oh, that's no big deal. Yeah, Yeah, it is no big deal at first, you know. Mm. But you go without the satisfaction, without the the, the joy long enough, and it wears you out. Mm -hmm. Until it finally gets to the point where you can hardly even lift your head. You're so tired of it. You're so Mm. frustrated by the fact that you're just not enjoying the work that you're spending most of your time on. Yeah and that to me is the that's that's like the um that that's the the hidden um detriment to not doing something that you love. It's one that you mm-hmm. don't see and you don't experience right away. It takes a while mm-hmm. for it to show up, especially if it's something you're good at.
1: Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times our soul we I mean I feel like I lose touch with my soul's calling so to speak. I if I dull myself into a routine job uh, year after year after year or I- any kind of a routine pattern like I've been in a pattern for years that i am been breaking out of um, over the last four or five years, mainly because of law of attraction and understanding that, you know, there is such a thing as really um, trusting source to orchestrate my life mm-hmm. and that I could let go of this idea that it's all on my shoulders. But yeah, I've I've lived so much um, of my time feeling just trapped by the belief that I want to do what I love, but it's too hard. I want to do what I love, but I don't know how to get there. And, um, and in the meantime, you know, you need to make money. You need to take care of business uh, on all kinds of levels. And I think people wake up sometimes in their 60s and 70s realizing that, You know, they've never done what they want to in their life, or they've never followed that that calling. And now they've got this big bucket list, all the things they want to do, but it's no longer possible to live a, you know, maybe an entire lifestyle of, well, that can begin at, at these later ages, you know, but.
0: Well, you can. That's it. But, but I think there's also the question of what if you're not in your later years? What if you're in your early years? What if you're in your yeah. 20s and 30s and you're hearing this podcast and you're saying, geez, I, maybe I really should start looking for something that I love. How do you attract it?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it is good to ask yourself what it is that you really love. I think that's a really good question to say, you know, what, what do I naturally gravitate towards? What did I gravitate towards as a kid? Um, that often is a great clue. What the things you really loved when you were younger, and then what are you feeling right now? That if you, if money wasn't an object, that's a good question to ask. I think if money, if money wasn't an object at all, and and okay, now you could, or your health, or or anything that you feel stands between you and doing what you love, your current job, you know, uh, if 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 that wasn't an object. What, what would you be doing with today? What would you be doing tomorrow? Like what, what would you set yourself up to do? Um, what, what would you think would be really the most fun? Um, if you right now could take off the entire rest of this day and do nothing but things you loved, and then you knew that someone was going to offer you so much money that you're going to now have a year minimum, to, to, let's, They're just saying, "Okay, let's take a year at a time. What's this first year? What do you want to do with all your time? for an entire year <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, I you think it's a good what? question good. to ask because mm-hmm. I think that was the question that I originally asked myself when I first started exploring the law of attraction as a mm-hmm. way to do exactly what we're talking about, find the thing that mm-hmm. we love so I love that question I mean, and that, I like that question made a difference in my life and it's not an easy question to answer at first I mean, no. when, you, when you first ask ask yourself that question, you get this great big silence. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: yeah, or you, or you, you, just think of some things that are relief from your current situation. Well, I would just go to where there's a spa yeah. and a and a cabin in the mountains, and yeah. I would every day I'd go for a hike. I'd go to the spa, and which is a good way to start. It's a good way to start because yeah. you get there to your cabin, and of course you can do this mentally. You can imagine yourself. Now you're at your cabin. Um, You know, what 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 other things do you want to do? You know, well, I would really like to start finally learning to play the flute. I've wanted to play the flute or whatever you think of. You know, I'd really like to read about quantum physics. I've always wanted to read or whatever. I want to read, you know, um, these novels by this incredible author I love so much. Or I want to watch, you know, all these different documentaries on this topic. Or I want to um, really get into growing, you know, some kind of thing i would love to grow i want to have a garden um you know whatever it is Uh, i want to paint i want to draw i want to Mm -hmm. make sculptures um often it is something creative because i think it's really natural in our makeup as human beings to want to use our hands and to want to be engaged in um something that enables us to see beauty uh, emerge. I mean, for a lot of people, that's what it is. For me, it was my interactions with people. It wasn't so much to make some product, although m- music, I do love to create music. I do love to sing and, and play guitar. I love to play tons of instruments. And if I had my life to live over right now, I would do nothing. I mean, one of my hugest things I would do is just create all different ways to make music and to um, pr- to provide that to other people and to become proficient on more than one instrument, especially voice and and other things but and and I still do that stuff and I still want to do more and more of it and um so I think we each come in each lifetime assuming we have many lifetimes uh to take it up a notch in a way to 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 manifest something more of who we really are as a soul you know as an entity as a being um that's a journey we're on i, I think through through lifetimes.
0: How do you answer the question of, well, I need to be able to earn a living? How can I earn a living at the thing when I can't see a way to earn a living at the thing that I like?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that there's always going to be a way if we are open and receptive to what impulses we get from source, that that it it's our belief that that's the difficult part, that of course, you know, by law of attraction, the thing that we think is hard is going to be hard. The thing that we fear is going to show up as a fear. Um, And so somehow we have to know that the money's going to come and we're going to do what we love and the money's going to come. And in the meantime, if we have to take another job, I've heard, for example, Abraham talk about that many times, you know, like someone's in the chair asking them questions of that very question and they say, well, sometimes you, you know, you, you do what's in front of you. You, you, you're not going to go put yourself in a position of being destitute or not on the street and then expect your money to just flow in. You know, you better keep enough money to keep paying the bills and stay in your apartment or wherever you are and, you know, be able to make the car payment and the insurance payment and all that. But in the meantime, you know, continue to work towards, you know, move towards that thing that you really do have a passion for, the thing that really turns you on, the thing that feels really good. How can you continue to work and move toward it at the same time and make that make that work out? But I think it takes a great trust that the universe wants us, life wants us to do the thing that feels good to us. And it will, those conditions will evolve. Uh, if we truly believe that that's true and we trust and let go to the fact that that can happen, it can definitely happen.
0: Mm -hmm. And it can happen. There's no doubt about that.
1: I'm still in the mode because I'm still creating that in my life as a life coach, and it is happening, and I am making money from clients. It's just sometimes not enough. And so I'm looking at other things I can do as a life coach that can open up my horizon to even more, which is why I'm creating a group coaching program, which then, you know, could make money as another income stream. And, you know, I could add other things. I could add a book. I could add other products, uh, you know, videos, different things that I could offer that could be other income streams. But, But I want my focus to be on what really turns me on, what feels like fun, what feels good to me, and what opens up my new horizons, the new vistas, the new perspectives that i want to work on to open up my possibilities mm-hmm. to have more fun to, right. to feel better to maybe serve more people you know to just to do more of what i love
0: that uh, is important it's it's a vitally important thing i mean you mentioned how it is easy to pick on pick, to pick up on something that you like doing if you're willing to put aside for the moment you know, I have to immediately make income I if you can if you're willing to trust, the income will eventually come. Um and yet I'm sure there are many people, myself included, who have experienced, mm-hmm. you know, how long is this gonna wait? You know, how long mm-hmm. am I gonna have to wait for this? Mm-hmm. Um and we end up keeping score. Well it hasn't shown up yet. I keep looking and it isn't there. In fact, mm-hmm. I find myself keeping score with uh, – I mean, because I would love to earn my living off of uh, doing the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I've been watching the numbers, and, and the numbers have been going up. The number of, of unique listeners, people who are subscribers, the number of times they play different episodes and so forth, the numbers are up. I mean, this month alone, we may even make 10,000 plays in one month, which would wow. be far and away a record for us. You know, So so everything keeps improving in that way. And mm-hmm. I I think that kind of looking at stuff – when you're looking at stuff that improves, that's a good thing because now you're looking at stuff from that positive, good feeling perspective. The difficulty Mm -hmm. I think comes in when we look at it from the lack perspective, the one that, you know, it's not happening. When's it going to happen? I'm getting so frustrated that it hasn't happened. When's it going to happen? Why isn't it happening? You know, that's, that's a nowhere place. That's a bad place to be. So that, that (laughs) that to me is the distinction. Is it, is, It is. is looking at the score, is, is looking at the progress feeling good? Then look at it. If it's not feeling good, definitely don't look at it because all you're doing is holding yourself back. But more importantly, do whatever you have to do to get yourself into that place where you're allowing yourself to believe what you know is true. It will come eventually. It's just a question of when. It's just a question of how much, you, you talked about momentum, how much momentum going the opposite direction you have to overcome before you get there.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing I face. And, and I think I've faced that with a lot of my clients, you know, is that people would love to be doing what they feel most called to do. And that feels most exciting. And to learn, to finesse the money side of that, how will I, how will I keep my focus on what I love to do and let the money somehow flow from that? And, um, I think for me, it takes overcoming a lifetime of believing that money comes through hard work, Mm -hmm. money, money comes through paying a big price. Money comes through being really smart and clever and having your everything figured out, you know, and a really good plan and, you know, all that stuff. And rather than, yeah, well, maybe it, maybe Those things are going to fall into place, but how are they going to fall into place? Are they going to fall into place with ease and fun and joy and spontaneity and serendipity, or are they going to fall into place because you put in a tremendous amount of hard work? And Mm -hmm. I think there's a place for work, but I think there's a huge place that unfortunately has not been practiced by us since we were little kids as much is that how do we let abundance come to us mm-hmm. how do we let prosperity flow into our lives
0: yeah yeah and I think there's also another factor here too um, it's what I call the Sudbury experience and for those mm-hmm. who don't know probably most listeners don't know it Sudbury is a model of education very very alternative model of education in which the kids basically control every aspect of their education. They run the school, they decide what they're going to do all day. I mean it's really, really radical in what it does. And <laughs> interestingly enough, Abraham is a an advocate of the Sudbury model. Has I, I didn't know this until very recently. Wendy found a video and pointed it out to me. But apparently hmm. they've known about it for some time and they they say, Yes, that's what uh, that, that's the best model of education we've ever heard of for kids.
1: Wow. Well, one that's of the cool.
0: it is cool, yeah. Well, one of the things that um Abraham's uh recogn- recognizing in that model is that kids when they are in that model they spend a lot of time trying things out. And my mm-hmm. when I say trying things out, I don't mean they they take one thing and try it out for for a year. I mean they move quickly from one thing to the next. They try this for a day and they try that for a day. Maybe this for an hour and this one for 2 hours and th- and they just keep moving along until they find something that jazzes them. And then they get sucked into it. And they Mm -hmm. just can't stop doing it. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is one of the most important skills most of us lack because we were really never given the opportunity to do that. We were cut off from it by our social system, by our educational system. No, 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 you're going to do what the teacher Mm -hmm. says to do. Oh, no, no, you're going to do what the administrator says to do. You're Mm -hmm. not going to follow your own guidance on this kind of thing. -hmm. That's what we're all um, growing up with for the most part. But I think it's a good idea, even after we get out of school, to do this kind of thing regularly. And you know who one of the best people was at doing this? It was Jerry Hicks, Esther's husband. Jerry had an amazing life when it came to trying things out. And we learn yeah. about this at the end of their book, "Money and the Law of Attraction." Right? We're talking about mm-hmm. career here. We're talking about money. Well, this is at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let me just mm-hmm. read this section to you because this mm-hmm. is this is you know as with most of these books, Jerry and Abraham have a conversation. And this is Jerry's side of a conversation, but this is one of his longer little soliloquies, so to speak. But just listen to to the things that he did. He says, Mm -hmm. Through my early years, while we lived on a series of 40-acre farms in Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas, I did many different things to earn money, all of them very hard work and none of them fun, from picking berries to raising and selling chickens to planting, harvesting, and selling tomatoes to chopping and selling firewood. I earned quite a bit of money for those times but I didn't enjoy my work at all and then during my <laughs> high school years in new orleans i worked at another series of non-fun jobs as a roofer a sheet metal mechanic and an elevator operator the <laughs> first job i had that was any fun at all was being a lifeguard at pontchartrain beach i'm not sure if i pronounced that wrong sorry to, to all you uh, louisiana folks Lake, if i completely Lake butcher that train, one. yeah yeah I guess that I was like most others around me, he says, and it didn't occur to me that fun and earning money could coincide. During the time I was doing all of that not fun, very hard work, I was doing fun things after work. I got together with other kids in the park at night and played my guitar, and I sang at church and in the choir at the New Orleans Opera. I led a (laughs) Cub Scout group, performed acrobatics, and volunteered as a teacher of gymnastics and dance. I did many wonderful, fun things, but I didn't earn money from any of them. However, Mm. once I became an adult, I never again worked very long at anything I didn't enjoy. Instead, I became self-employed, and those things I'd been doing free for fun, I just kept doing. But then, I started receiving money in return for performing them. I Mm. hadn't been training for or planning for a career in music or singing or dancing or acrobatics, but then the sheet metal workers' union called a strike. And while I was out of work, a man at the YMCA gym asked me to join... El Gran Circo de Santos y Artigas in Cuba, as an aerial bar (laughs) performer in their circus. And so I didn't go in the secure direction in roofing and sheet metal that my father wanted me to plan for. It paid a steady wage, and I was trained for it, and was very good at it, even though I disliked disliked so much about it. But as a result of the unwanted union strike, I turned easily in the direction of what then became a truly joyous life of adventure and earnings. I began as an acrobat with the Cuban circus and then stayed in show business in one aspect or another for over 20 years. And what is it that he and Esther ended up doing? They were in show business. Esther still Mm -hmm. is in show business. (laughs) I mean, we don't really think of it that way, but she goes around the country and around the world giving workshops. That's show business.
1: Right, right, right. You know? Yeah, and she's got this great thing where she says there's these guys called Abraham that are in the unseen realm and that they talk through her. And, you know... it's a great show. but um, It's a we, fabulous we, show. Yeah. And um, I think that's such a great example, isn't it? Like of how it could be if we followed all the different things that turn us on. I mean, some people land on one thing and then they just love that and they do that. And that's fine. His, that, that's life. perfectly fine. Yeah.
0: yeah. But the point is he tried a lot of things and he didn't like well. most of them.
1: I think but, that's the way we learn. Right? Exactly.
0: Yeah. that That's really the best kind of career that there is. I mean, it, it flies completely in the face of what I was taught um when my father was working for the same company all his life, but mm-hmm. I'm convinced that that's not the way to go. <laughs> I saw what happened yeah. to my dad. I saw how it affected him and no, 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 that that doesn't work. I mean, yes, yeah. he put food on the table. Yes, he provided well for us, but oh, what a price he paid. Oh my goodness, what a price he paid. Really, really yeah. high.
1: Yeah, I lived with a woman for six years who I watched, um, and she she had an amazing ability to just do the next best feeling thing in her life in terms of of uh, heading towards a career. It's good for and, her. Um, and and I, and I I supported her during those six years I was with her um, so that she could do that. Um, and she worked a little bit, but but I really you know tried to I wanted her to succeed, and mm-hmm. of course I put my own. Uh, creativity on hold so that I could pay for her to become creative. And she did. And she created these four different products for astrologers to use when they're making charts and before the days of computers. And so then we had those manufactured and she wrote a book for astrology and all these things. And she, she taught me though that if you really want to find out what you love to do, just do a whole bunch of things, just like you're saying. And as you follow those threads, this feels good, this feels good, this feels good, before long, you you will have learned you know, a bunch of different things. And those different things you've learned then will add more and more to the next thing you do.
0: Yeah, yeah it, I, think, I think it's really important. And maybe
1: that's, in a way, what Jerry did.
0: The, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, uh, it's really what uh, you and I need to do more of, I think. Like you said, you... You spent those six years supporting her so she could do it. You kind of put your dreams aside when it would have been better if you'd also include your dreams in it. And I did the same thing. I I Mm -hmm. put my dreams aside so that Louise could uh, quit her career as a psychotherapist way back when in the early days of our relationship. And Mm -hmm. I was the one who was being the breadwinner and so forth. And Mm -hmm. looking back on it, I, I don't regret helping her to get where she needed to go. I just wish I'd spent more of my time getting where I needed to go.
1: Yeah, exactly the same feeling I have. Yeah. And then I did it in a, in this relationship with the family for fifteen years, mm. and helping helping them out. And I I feel like I did it because I was not willing to um to pay the price <laughs> to pay the price of doing it doing my own work because I felt there was such a big price to pay that I I guess I was afraid to launch into this you know what's the possibility that I might fail. I think we're we're not also taught as kids through our normal school system and a lot of our parents. We're not, we're not given the example that it's okay to fail. It's okay to try something and it doesn't work out. And then you move on to the next thing that comes out of that failure, you know, out of that. Yeah, and quite it's not, the contrary. Really failure, not really failure when you're a kid. Though.
0: Quite the contrary. We're taught that it's, it's a catastrophe. Yeah. We're taught that, you no, know, the food's going to stop coming onto the table. We're taught that, you know, everything's going to fall apart around us. Yeah. And, and we believe it.
1: And we're taught to lock lock ourselves into something that we don't necessarily
0: don't
1: don't really like. I mean, that's the thing in college, why I could never pick a major. I looked at the eight or 10 or 12 or 15 different areas that I could major in, and none of them felt like what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I, I said, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. And I tried for a while to imagine fitting myself into a box of being a psychologist or a sociologist or something that was along the lines of what. But I couldn't, I just like, I don't want to go to all the, you know, the master's training or the doctorate training to become that so that I can finally hang up that shingle and say, now I'm this, I wanted, I felt called in some unique way. And that's why I left college after three years and hit the road. And and I started to learn about all kinds of other things like astrology and yoga and vegetarianism and on all kinds of things that were more along the lines of what I was called to do.
0: Well, good for you that, you that you actually took the steps. I didn't even take the steps. I was so deeply entrenched in what I had been taught. Like, even when I was in college, I thought I had to go to the best college I could get into uh, and, you know, set myself up for the best job I could get regardless of whether I loved it, all that kind of thing. It never occurred to me never for one moment that I should go mm-hmm. look at other kinds of schools that had different kinds of curricula and different kinds of degrees and different, different stuff to look at and study and so forth. And certainly not anything that was alternative. Mm-hmm. It had to be mainstream. Otherwise, you know, you're wasting time and money. You can't do that. You can't waste time and money.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're almost like the generation that had to go through the last of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, putting yourself in a straitjacket is the only way you can really live. And right. Got to, I mean, obviously, our parents didn't entirely believe that because they, many people in our parents' generation did do things that they felt really called to do. Yeah, but a lot of them were also conforming to particular professions that were out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you really feel called to do. I, I say that's fantastic. You know, you really feel called to be a doctor, then you'll probably be a fantastic doctor. But if you're doing it because... This is the best way to make money I can see and even though I don't like it, I'm gonna do it anyway. Um
0: Yeah, it's a death knell right there. That that, that <clears> alone <throat> is just gonna strangle you at some point. Sooner rather than later most likely, but yeah, actually it's a it's a blessing if it happens sooner rather than later. I'm mm-hmm. convinced of that because I for me it took a long time, it took years before it final finally strangled me pursuing something I didn't love doing. Not that I like being strangled, don't get me wrong. But if I'm going to be strangled, I'd rather have it happen earlier so I can shift gears earlier, right? Mm -hmm. That's the Mm -hmm. way I was feeling about it.
1: If people really want to look into this, there's a really good movie I just saw called Discover the Gift. And it's all about that. Um, Mm. It's made by a Hollywood uh, filmmaker who, who finally changed his perspective on his life on the he I guess he was making action films and things like that, and he he began then to i mean in this film he makes a film about discovering your unique gift and he interviews you know Mark Victor Hansen and all these different people that have done with their lives what they wanted to do, and they all talk about how you can do that you know they're all uh personal growth you know gurus or masters or you know teachers. It's really good. It's a really good movie um, to help you see. And I I saw that when I was watching that, it it made me think of what we were just talking about, how our parents' generation did not model and our teachers didn't model doing what you love Mm. as much as now we're modeling it and we're trying it in our generation much more. And I noticed my kids, they all do. They all have that as the centerpiece of their life is doing what they love. That's really good. And they're, trying to work around that in terms of money. Well well one of my boys does does what he loves and makes a really good living at it, making jewelry, incredibly beautiful jewelry, but he, you know, he makes incredible money doing that. That's excellent. Yeah. So it's good to watch young people more and more I see them doing it. I mean, by in droves, young people are doing what they love to do. And finding a way to change the society so that there's more and more Potential for each person to to make money doing what they love. There's a huge proliferation of possibilities out in the marketplace to do what you love. If you get out into that marketplace and start experimenting, um, there's lots of avenues that income can come in and that you can still be doing what you love. That's
0: a good thing. It's good news. I'm, that's what I'm counting on too. And by the way, uh, there are lots of people out there who don't know about this podcast and who don't know about the Daily Dose of Happy. So we'd like to encourage our <laughs> existing listeners to take a moment and just post something on your favorite social media. Uh, include the phrase LOAToday.net. We've been asking for this for about a week and a half now, two weeks, something like that. And during that time, we're seeing a definite increase in traffic. We're, we're Like I mentioned earlier, we're actually on track to almost perhaps getting 10,000 plays in a month. I can remember, you know, like a year ago when we were hoping to hit 10,000 plays for all time. So it's definitely been growing. But even so, there are thousands, millions of people who've never even heard of this podcast. And when you put it out there like that, you it's, it's not so much you're reaching out to your friends, although you are doing that too, but you're you're contributing to how uh social media passes messages along. And when social media gets more and more postings about things like net, it gets shared with more and more people, people that you and I don't even know. So please just take a moment and go on to your favorite social media site so that other people can find about, find out about the Daily Dose of Happy and get their Daily Dose because you need to have positive programming in your life. There's so much negative programming. We've got to counter it, right, Tom? And We've got to find mm-hmm. some way to turn
1: that around. Might as well. It's a good thing to be doing.
0: And more than that, we also want to encourage people who are not yet subscribers to become subscribers. I mean, maybe this is your first podcast, and if it is, just take a moment, go to our homepage at LOAToday.net. You'll see instructions on how to subscribe to the podcast. It's pretty much like you subscribe to anything else on your iPhone. You do it through the iTunes store uh, by searching on Today. Same thing on the Android. You may need to, to, if you're on an Android, you may need to download some podcast software, but you do that from the Play Store. And then you open that software and do a search on the today. Or you can just, if you already have the right software in place, especially with an iPhone, use your Safari web browser and go to the homepage and click on the link and it'll just automatically subscribe you. Boom, you're done. But whatever way you do it, please become a subscriber and share. And Tom, um how does somebody reach out if they're looking for a little more private consultation? Because sometimes some of these things are a little bit, you know, delicate and difficult to talk about in, in, in a public scenario, but we need to talk about with somebody.
1: How do they reach out to you? Yeah, um... I offer a free half hour of coaching um, where we can talk about what your situation is that you might want to work on in a coaching environment. And you could, you could feel out whether or not working with me might be good for you or not. And you can go to my website, which is called youarejoy.com, Y-O-U-A-R-E-J-O-Y.com. And you'll see there in the, in the menu a chance to sign up for a free half hour of coaching with me.
0: All right, very good. Well, actually, my. And I would
1: like to also recommend a book for this topic of today Manifesting Your Unique Gifts. It's called um, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And The Big Leap is about how you can take off the upper limit of your potential and begin to understand how to expand your reach into doing what you love to do in the world.
0: Excellent. Well, Tom, it's been great. I hope you have a great weekend. And uh, let's pick this up again on Monday.
1: Okay, Walt, I hope you have a good one too
0: Thank you, and we hope that you'll come back next time as well to join us here on LOA Today Goodbye, everybody